Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Amen, amen. Good morning, church. It's a blessing uh, just to be gathered with you. I gather uh, this morning and I look around and just am so thankful for, and it's been a, a crazy season over these last really six months as we have navigated just some of the most unusual times that any of us have maybe walked through. And as Pastor Chris shared earlier, we're Next week, uh, October the 4th is our, uh, the first Sunday in October is uh, Homecoming Sunday, and this year it's going to look a little different uh, than what, we, what we've seen in the past, but, you know, we began to meet a season back with a, a reopening team and just really looking at uh, when we would come back in the building, and as clear to them as it was uh, the times that we moved outside and the things that we've been doing, it was uh, equally as clear uh, to them that this was the right time. Uh, prayerfully and just seeking the Lord that we would uh, come back inside the building and as Pastor Chris said we're, we're going to continue to be broadcasting online and we know there's a lot of a lot of different dynamics a lot of different things uh, that folks take into consideration there but we want to be able to gather uh, in, a, in a responsible way uh, in a way that um, is safe but uh, we're, we're excited about these next steps and we'll be communicating more and more this week but I want to just give a, a shout out to a crew that uh, I don't know if you see all the obviously you see them up here but there's a lot of cables and a lot of uh, equipment a lot of things that take place and has taken place uh, every week uh, since March to be able to put church online those of you that are uh, worshiping with us and gathering in homes all, all around our community and uh, find out more and more people in in distant places uh, that are gathering with us and nursing homes that, that have uh, people actually gathering in other people's rooms and uh, watching our service in Pennsylvania. It's just, it's just incredible how God has used uh, this time for, uh, for good and for his glory. And so uh, we're grateful for all of you that join us in that way. But we just want to say thank you to just an incredible AV team, an incredible group of people that uh, just every week, uh, week in, week out, have set this up and, and, you know, just allowed our church to be portable in this time. And it's been just an incredible blessing uh, their servants hearts and the way that they uh, have engaged have have really touched me um, and I know it's uh, it's enabled worship in so many different ways so thank you to uh, all of, of them thank you to you as you uh, have gathered faithfully and just try to really navigate hey what does this look like and how does this work but you know we have seen just a, a tremendous unity and tremendous blessing in our church in the midst of, of this time and I thank you so much for that I thank God for the, the blessing that we have to serve him. You know, that last song, I love the thought, right? Where would I be without you? May that be our declaration. Like, where would I be without you, Lord? Where would I be? You know, and he, in that song, it, it continues to say, you know, write me with your story, Jesus, or write me with your glory, Jesus, every line, your story. And, and we want to talk this morning about a passage of scripture where I believe the first deacons are seen. We're all called, by the way, as we uh, imitate Christ. And, and Jesus said, the greatest among you would be your servant. And every person is called to serve. Every person is called to be part uh, of that. Now, as we look in Acts chapter 6 today, 
Uh, we can't say that these were the first deacons. They were not referred to that way in that passage. We, uh, the, the word that's used for deacon is used in that passage, but later this became an office in the New Testament church, and, and we're going to be part of this special time uh, together as we uh, ordain uh, Bob Burke and Joel Anderson, and I, I just appreciate you both so very much. Appreciate your families. Uh, just am so grateful for uh, this, this blessing that we are part of uh, today. And we're going to see in this passage how servants make a difference uh, in the kingdom of God, how they make a difference in the church, and how we are all, in fact, called to service in the body. So I want to challenge the congregation to challenge really all of us with three things today. Uh, three things we're called to, uh, to kind of see and be uh, as we serve in the body of Christ. And the title of this message is Water Jugs, Pocket Knives, and Holy Lives. And so got a couple of things. Uh, I like props, and so we'll put the gas on this side over where the cars are. So if anybody does run out of gas, we've had uh, the ability to jump off cars during this. So if your car happens to run low, uh, we're prepared this morning. Uh, so join me, and we're going to look at Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to jump in. Father, we're grateful to be able to gather, Lord, and we thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness of this body of believers. God, we thank you for for Bob, Lord, we thank you for Joel, Lord, we thank you for their families, Lord, and just the blessing that they are to us uh, in this body of believers, Lord. And we pray, God, as we open your word today, Lord, that every one of us would be able to glean uh, truths that we can apply uh, to our everyday life, Lord, that we might see the heart that you have uh, for, for your church, Lord, to be unified on mission for the glory of your name, God, that we're part, you allow us to be part of your story, God, and we are so grateful. Lord, we pray you use us for your glory and for the good and furtherment of your kingdom. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Beginning in verse 1, Scripture says this, Now, at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So there's an interesting problem that we see identified uh, in this first uh, chapter. There are some blessings that we're seeing there. It says that at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number. Now, this word uh, that's used for increasing, it's, it's a picture of multiplication. And this church is growing, right? The early church has grown. It's exploded from these 120 that gathered uh, in the upper room. It's exploded. And now there are uh, thousands that are gathering. This is maybe a time five years after Pentecost, and we see uh, the church is exploding. And so here's an interesting thing. How can a growing church like that, I can't imagine a growing church like that having any kind of problems, right? That doesn't seem seem possible, right? But here that we see that there's this uh, there's this problem that they've run into, and the scripture says that the the Hellenistic Jews that there's this complaint. Now these Hellenists, this just means uh, simply that these are Jews with Greek cultural roots. The word Hellas that that means uh, really just it's referring to this geographical region of Greece, and so there's this complaint that comes up, and it's a serious problem. Not only because there's a a, a problem where uh, some of the people are being neglected in the daily distribution of food, but this is really a racial problem too, right? Because it says, hey, there's a group of people that are being prioritized over another group. It says that the Hellenists are complaining uh, against the Hebrews. 
Now, it doesn't seem like this complaint came to the apostles. It doesn't seem from the wording in this passage that uh, that this complaint, that there was an issue, and they said, hey, I better go find Peter. i, I got to figure out what's going on. It, it didn't say, you know, hey, i got to go find the apostles. I need to engage uh, in this kind of way. That's not it, it, how it's worded uh, in this passage. It doesn't seem like that. And we learned something in, in the Greek from this type of complaint. There's a word. It's gongisimos, gong, gong, I can't even pronounce English, right? Gongis, gongisimos, I think is how it's pronounced, or gongisimos. I'm not even going to try that word. I don't even like it. It's a bad word, okay? And that's and that's really the point of this whole thing. I can't pronounce it, and it's a bad word. For some reason, I get tongue-tied. Uh, but, but it's a bad word because it's this kind of complaint that gives this meaning, that it's this undercurrent, it's this thought of this murmuring. If you were to, to look at that original word, it's this complaint that is coming in an undistinct, it's like this low and indistinct tone, and so there's this complaint that's coming, and it's not a complaint that somebody comes and says, hey, Pastor Ron, hey, there's a situation. It's this, this rumbling that's happening in a low, murmuring, uh, distinct, this, this kind of backbiting type picture that you might see there, this murmuring, uh, this complaint that's there, and, and it basically says, hey, you know what? They don't care about us. That's really what this complaint probably sounded like. It said, you know what? They really only care about the Hebrew. They really don't care about us. And, you know, we're in the midst of First Peter and kind of paused for this week, but as we have been walking through there, we see persecution. We th- see this threat of persecution. We see this writing to encourage them to have hope in the midst of all that. And I want to tell you something. There's what we're talking about today, that kind of murmuring and that kind of situation, that's more dangerous to a church than persecution any day of the week. See, God's math, and there's some math teachers here, God's math is unity and multiplication. And Satan's math is division. Some of y'all thought it was common core, but it's not. It's division. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, you know, I heard the story of this guy that uh, was on an island. He had been stranded there for uh, a season, and they found him. And when he got there, uh, when they got there to find him, they found him there, and there were these two buildings that were there. So they asked him, said, uh, and you've been here a long time. What are these two buildings? And he said, well, this one over here, he said, that's where I go to church. He said, oh, that's awesome. He said, what's the other one? He said, that's where I used to go. So he was by himself. That's, yeah. A couple things we can learn from this passage, though, as we before we get in any further. One is that whenever we have an issue come up in life, we don't want to look and try to figure out what somebody's motives are. Right? People deal with a lot of different things, and there's issues that come up. And we don't want to try to, to figure out their motives. We don't want to guess on that. And when there's an issue, go straight to the source. Because these people, they begin to look for a solution without losing their mind. Look at verse 2. It says, so the 12 summoned the congregation of the disciples together. Now, notice they didn't, they didn't get offended in this. They didn't say, I can't believe uh, that, that you guys are, are complaining about this. You have no idea what we're dealing with. They, they don't do that. They say this, the 12 summoned the congregation of the disciples and said it's not desirable for us to, to neglect the word, he said it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God so that we might wait on or so in order to serve tables. Now, they didn't respond taken back. They, they, didn't, they, they saw this need, and they pull everybody together, and they, they're not saying, hey, we're too good for this. I think that's a, something we need to know clearly from the beginning. This, this is not where the apostles are saying, hey, we're way too good to be 
waiting on these tables. It's not a situation like this. And in fact, it is probably at this time, they were probably serving uh, the Jewish widows already. There, were, there was that kind of dynamic there. They didn't respond in this negative way. And when we deal with things in life, we've got a couple ways we can respond. Uh, Bruce Harwood, who uh, gave me, you know, my favorite illustration of this, says there's always two options when we deal with a story. And anytime we ordain deacons, I'm always, you can know that, like if you've heard this story before, you're going to hear it again, right? And, and I've been watching Facebook. We all need to hear this again, okay? So <laughs> the whole world needs to hear this. If you're watching online, share this. Tell them to go to this part and watch, okay, because we're struggling all over. And so here's this, this reality. We've got two ways that we can respond. We can either carry gas and we can fuel the flame. There's, there's that option. We can do that. The other option is that we can carry water. And we all have that option when we deal with situations, whether it's in the body of Christ, whether it's in our home, uh, whatever those kind of things uh, are, those are the kind of options that we have, and I want to encourage you when an issue comes to you, go get a water jug. Always get the water. That's just pretty common, right? James, as we walk through uh, the book of James, he said, be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to get angry because what you'll find is that the scriptures line up with science. And what we know about the scripture, about our brains are, is whenever we uh, are dealing with something in a moment, the natural thing that we can do, uh, we have these, uh, and I'm not going to try to get into the, the science of all that, but whenever we touch the stove, whenever we're navigating something like that, there's something in our brain that immediately says, hey, remove your hand. You don't have to think about that for three or four days. You don't have to go, hey, I need to figure out what I should do in this moment. And sometimes uh, when we respond in the midst of a moment, uh, we uh, react in such a way that that part of our brain just reacts and we just kind of bounce back or we do uh, those kind of things. And we don't want to, because we don't process everything. So I want to encourage you to pause in the midst of the moments, right? So as you're uh, dealing with situations, whether it be a, a situation with your spouse, whether it be a situation in the church, and maybe uh, somebody approaches you about something, there's all those kind of things. We want to take a few seconds, and we want to allow our brains, there's a part of our brains that work and process and think, and we want to pause, we want to pray, and then we want to pour water on those situations. And, and instead of fueling fire, we're able to put out the fire. You know, fires that are fueled do so much more damage in our lives. We've all been in a situation where a small argument has escalated and turned big. We've all been in situations where we've responded quickly to a situation instead of applying the scriptures and being swift to hear, slow to speak, those kind of things. But in this passage, there's a problem. They respond in a way with a solution instead of in defense or in those kind of things, and there's dynamics that have been changing. The church has been growing. Things are looking different, and they say, you know what? It's not good to neglect the word. He says there's this thing. It's not good for us to neglect this in order to do something else. There's nothing menial about the task that's at hand, but these apostles have only so much time, and they're saying, you know what? It's, it's not good to neglect this because the word then is being neglected and making disciples and engaging and equipping the body of Christ for the work of the ministry, rightly dividing the word. And so these apostles, they're not moving out of service to some high post where they don't serve. 
they're focusing on what is the most effective thing for them to focus on in what they've been called to do. Because the reality is for all of us, the primary call of, of a Christian, the primary response that we have as a follower of Jesus Christ is to serve him and his body, right? We respond uh, by grace through faith. We're saved. We're born again into the family of God, into a living hope as we've been talking about. And and we are saved people, serve people. I've heard that said before. And we uh, are born into a life of service. As I said earlier, Jesus said, the greatest among you. He said, who's going to be the greatest in your kingdom? Put us on the right hand. Put us on the left. Oh, man, who's going to be in charge? Who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? The disciples all have those kind of questions or questions that our flesh like to ask. Jesus said, the greatest among you will be a servant. He gave, a, gave us examples as he washed the disciples' feet. He's made it clear that pastors are to be servant leaders and deacons are to be leading servants. I like the terminology of those things, but all of us are called to serve. And so they come up with a solution in verse 3, and they say, Therefore, brethren, select from among you. He says, so we want to look around. He said, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Now, those two things are unchanging in priority Today And he says, select from among you seven men. He gives some, some uh, things for them to look at. He says, select from among you seven men full uh, of, of the spirit, good reputation. And he said, you're going to put them in charge of this task that's at hand. Now, it seems to me when we first start thinking about this, we first start examining it, this thought of serving and waiting on tables, it doesn't seem like this important of, of a task in that moment. But, but it's kind of like, man... You're taking people and, and you're setting aside these people and you're picking men of good reputation and you're picking uh, these folks and you're looking among you in that way and then you're going to put them in charge of this task. But I want you to look at the results and we're going to see that in the midst of this passage and it makes an incredible difference. And, and, and we see these people that are selected are representing the church. They're representing the apostles. They're representing the Lord Jesus and I want to introduce something that we're going to present to these men today and, and other men in the future that are ordained as deacons. And this is the official, for the first time, Cowie Deacon Knife. And I want you to notice something. I had this in my pocket the whole time and nobody knew it. It's important. And on this knife, on the blade, it's got our little logo and it just says the word deacon and and in that, these guys are going to be presented with those uh, today, but I'm so grateful for the deacons of Cowie Baptist and the way that they serve this faith family. And when I think about a deacon, when I really think about a Christian, we should all desire and we should all really have some similarities to a pocket knife. Now, these men... They're not looking for fame, and in this passage, these men are being called to a task that doesn't put them in the front of, of a bunch of people and make them have this, this role that's there. fact is, these pocket knives were in my pocket the whole times I shared. They were kept hidden. It, it's not a, a sword, right? This isn't, this isn't something. I don't know if you've ever been in Walmart and you see the guy with the, you know, I know like 
you know, probably a lot, a percentage of our church has a, a you know, a, a concealed carry permit. And there's probably, there's probably guns like everywhere right now. Okay. I feel like the safest place in the world here. But occasionally, you know, you'll find somebody that has like a, I remember one time, one time when I was working at Lowe's, there was this guy that actually rode in on a horse and it, it was interesting. I mean, we were, he pulled around to the, to the loading dock around back. It was when it was the little old store on the Highlands Road. And all of a sudden I look out and there's this, this guy coming in, he's riding in on a horse and I'm thinking, this is, this is going to be neat. I mean, how are we going to tie this down? I'm thinking, I hope he gets two by fours because this is going to be awesome. You know, I'm thinking we got all the string in the world. And so he pulls in and, and he takes this horse, pulls up to this dock, ties his horse off. And on his side, he, he has a 40, I mean, it's like the longest pistol that I've ever seen in my life. And on the side of the horse, not kidding you, there is a sword strap there. You talk about, like, there were, some, there were a lot of customers there at that moment. And I knew this guy, so it, it, I kind of almost expected it, you know. <laughs> but I'm looking, I'm thinking, you know, everybody's impatient in that moment. They're like, I want my concrete. That guy pulls in, everybody goes to their car. They're really content to be quiet, right, in that but it's not like that. It's not this weapon uh, that's out there, right? It, it's not something that's mounted. This uh, A pocket knife's not something that you have mounted uh, somewhere in your house to display. Uh, it's something that slipped in your pocket, right? And, it, and it's by design, it's used for that. And deacons by design, they serve many times in the shadows. It's a responsibility of, of pastors and elders to shepherd and lead this congregation and deacons to serve her. These, these knives, they're not offensive, right? They're not weapons. The primary purpose of this is not uh, a weapon. A pocket knife's main function is not to be a weapon, but man, they are useful tools for many projects. And when we think of deacons, I think of that. Now, pocket knives, I want to warn you, if you find an old country boy with a pocket knife, like I, I have so many knives on me right now because I have these two. Actually, I only have three. So, but Somebody would ask me sometimes, hey, do you have a pocket knife? And, and the answer that you hear in the country is, I have my britches on, don't I? That's how you know, right? I, and there's something about a pocket knife. I can remember when I got my first pocket knife, right? I can remember my dad finally thinks, hey, you know what? I can trust him, and he's not going to cut his hands off or anybody else's. And so you get that pocket knife, right? And it's like this, this moment where it's just, it means something to you, but but pocket knives. If you find an old country boy and he gets one of these out and says, "You got like a some steak or something," and you're like, "I can't get the edge off that," and he pulls his pocket knife out and he says, "Oh, I can cut that for you." I mean, you got to be brave, okay? Because I'm I'm gonna tell you something. That thing just skinned some fish, maybe a a deer. Uh, it's probably cleaned his fingernails a few times. And here's how you clean. This is just training for y'all. There might be some city people. Don't know. You just go like this. Okay, and and you're and you're good. I mean, you're this that that right there, that that'll kill the coronavirus on a pocket knife. I'm serious. You just you just take it and wipe it. You just that's it. Okay, so they're not the most sanitary things in the world. I'm not saying the deacons aren't sanitary, so don't we're not we're not taking this thing, but but so far, but pocket knives they clean out your fingernails. They do dirty work. That's the point of this. They're they're not there in a way that says, hey, you know what, everything uh, is there. They're not afraid to get. Uh, messy, and I've seen many times uh, deacons in our church just willing to serve in ways that serve uh, this community and serve this church in an incredible way from washing dishes, delivering food, whatever those kind of things uh, may be, cleaning toilets, whatever it is, it's the kind of work. And, and deacons are people that are saying, you know what, we're not afraid of dirty work because we know that the ministry of the word has to take place. And so they come alongside in that way. So they're handy. 
right? We, we, we always have those things. You kind of forget they're there, and then all of a sudden you're trying to get into something, and you're like, oh, of course I got my pocket knife. I got my pants on. That's how you answer that. And so they're that way. Deacons are there to take care of things when you need them with no prep, little warning. They're doing that. Now, these things are not offensive, but they are they will defend, right? Now, a pocket knife will defend. I Googled this morning if we had screens where we could put all this stuff. I found articles, these crazy cool articles where, like, a, a man killed a grizzly bear with his pocket knife. I'm talking about that. That's for real. That's for real, okay? I mean, when you see those kind of things, and there's all kind of articles, and I've heard people, you know, they're, they're trapped in a vehicle, and all of a sudden somebody works their way down in, and they get the pocket knife off, and they cut the seatbelt off, and they do those kind of things and and whatever whenever there is an attack if a pocket knife's all you have then a pocket knife is what you will use and god forbid that our church is ever under attack that our pastors are ever under attack but it is expected that deacons would protect and serve in that way that without question and with resolve they would defend this church from attacks of the enemy. And for those that are deacons are like pocket knives. They're behind the scenes. They're handy. They're not afraid of dirty work. They're, they're the kind of people that are there when you need them, but they're not going, hey, look at me, look at me. They're not riding in the horse, right, with the with the 44 Magnum on the side. That's not the thing. But they are men that are problem solvers in the church. There's so many times like a screw needs tighten. This needs happening. And you pull out your pocket knife, and it's incredible what you do. Women should have pocket Everybody in here should have a pocket knife. But we just know that that is, yeah, somebody pulled theirs out, I think, maybe, or lifted it right there. It's, Right, It's just where it should be. But here's this thing. They're problem solvers, and they're protecting the church from division. And when a deacon stops solving problems and starts creating problems, they disqualify themselves to be a deacon. And he said, we, as the body of Christ, we are come together, and the mission of this church is for the glory of God. It's not for the glory of anybody else. It's not about any of us. It is his story, and we are walking together in unity on mission for the glory of his name. And when people see others serve, when deacons function as God intended them, I want you to understand, I don't believe these seven men were able to take care of all the feeding that needed to take place, but I believe these seven men then mobilized other people to help meet the needs within the body. They serve in a way that causes others to serve. And every one of us is called to serve. You know, as we think about coming back in the building this Thursday night at 7, uh, we're going to be gathering here for a team training night. We're going to be looking at different ways that people can serve and and just engage uh, as we uh, move back in. And if you're comfortable uh, engaging and being part of uh, there's so many teams, so many things as we continue to uh, to welcome our kids back inside the building, as we continue to to cert, to, to engage in, in so many different ministries. We need uh, help to do that. And so we want to encourage you to be part of uh, that. So here they are. They have a need. They come up with a plan. I want to give you just a little look ahead, and then we're going to come back. They had a need. They came up with a plan. They're in unity, and the gospel goes forth, right? They're in a time where division could take place. They're in a time where unity uh, was threatened, where there's a complaint from uh, one group against another group. But we see this plan. We see it executed. In verse 7, says this. It says, The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. There were people that were seeing something take place that is countercultural. 
natural, right? Unity and, and, and people being in one accord on mission with self-sacrificial service is something that this world is not used to seeing. It is something that gets the intentions. When we see people that are no longer uh, looking around, and, and whether it be in, in whatever place, right, and not pouring gasoline, but are saying, you know what, we're the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, by the way, I think Jesus said. But when we look at that, that we're those kind of people that were kingdom servants with water jugs, right, with functioning behind the scenes, these, these pocket knives. But the most important thing that I want to pull in as we uh, just think of ordaining these deacons today is, is there's these water jugs, pocket knives, and holy lives. See, the final message to the church and to these two men that are coming on is holy lives. There was a a statement that found approval in verse 5, Scripture says, with the whole congregation, and they and they chose, and it, it's going to list out the people that they chose. And when we uh, take deacon nominations and we look at that, the congregation uh, submitted men that they had looked at their lives, and they said, you know, we, we are looking for these people of good reputation, full of faith, full of the Spirit. And it says that they... The statement found approval, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip. And, and we go in, and, and it's interesting as we read these names. And I'm not going to read them all. I already butchered one name today. It's enough for me, okay? I'm, I'm figuring out that's not my skill set today. Uh, maybe I need one more cup of coffee, and I'll read them all out. But, but these names, right, we, we see them, and they tell a story about a person, but the story is not so much about them, but it gives them things that they noticed about them. They were full of faith, good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom. They're people that are the kind of people that are choosing water jugs instead of gas cans. They're people that are ready to work behind the scenes. They're people that they looked at and said, oh, I know just the right person that could go and navigate these kind of things. But then they say these people are are of good reputation. They're holy lives. And can I remind you that our reputation, it takes years to build, and we can lose it in a moment. Isn't that crazy? We, we see, you know, as the, the role of deacon, as the office of deacon was established in the church, that they looked for faithful men. 1 Timothy 3 gives us some, some things that we know about the characteristics of them. And as Pastor Ron read earlier, these are people with faith that's evident in their words, it's faith that's evident in the way that they, uh, they use their tongue. It's faith that's evident in the way that they work, in the way that they serve. And it's faith that's evident in the walk that they have in the Christian life. And when God calls people to serve his church, you know, as we look through Scripture, and I wish we had all day to look at different people in the Old Testament, to look at different people that God chose. But when we look at those things, we see that God looks at the heart. See, God will equip those that are called to the task, but he is looking for men with moral character. He's looking for those that have a heart to serve and a heart to follow him. You know, we read the things that that Pastor Ron had shared earlier, and we see these things about a man's personal life. We see uh, their character, their home life, this leadership capacity, this commitment to to the, uh, the service of the Lord uh, right, and we see these kind of things. There's even when you look at, at those that are called to be uh, pastors, those that are called to be elders, those that are called to be deacons. There's no lessening of these moral standards between those two uh, areas, right? There's not this kind of thing, and and there's this 
this picture that as the body of Christ and as we continue in 1 Peter, we're going to see that we have been all called to pursue a life of holiness, right? That it's part of all of our things and to walk in service to our Lord. But as deacons, as deacons, we, as pastors, as deacons, we are to be models of that service, right? We're to be models of that for our church. It's not so much that there's a different standard of what a Christian should live like and what a deacon should live like, but a deacon should live their lives in a way that models what a Christian should look like. You know, I can remember when I first really started going to church, and I've shared a little bit about this man and his wife and their impact in my life, and and there was a man, his name was Hillard Soulsby, Hillard and Virgie, and I can remember when I first started going to church, and I've shared with you, you know, Sherry's dad uh, did not think I was the coolest um, guy in the world for his daughter, and uh, I was going to church maybe for the wrong motives, right? I was going mostly because I was, uh, you know, trying to find a wife, and she was so pretty, and still is so pretty, and, you know, it, it was just all those things, but I remember going to church, and all of a sudden, this man took some interest in me, and then it wasn't too long, my grandmother passed away, and all of a sudden, here was this deacon and his wife at the funeral home, and they would just sit for hours, right, the whole time that the, the visitation was going on, they didn't just come in and go through, but they just sat there, then all of a sudden, later, Sherry and I are dating, and we uh, decide that, that we're going to get married, and we get married, and we're looking for a place to live, it was actually right before we got married, we're trying to figure out where we're going to live, and and this man approaches me, this deacon in the church, and he says, you know what, uh, there's a place here on my land. And he said, we, and he began to talk to me, and he began to, to, to invite us up for dinner, and his wife would make these little cookies. They were so good. Oh, they were incredible. And, and we would see them just live their life, right? And we, we would see them engage in, as a family, and we would look, and we would see the way that they would serve the church, and they'd be there early, turning on the lights. You'd get there, and they, these men would just be there, and when all of a sudden you'd get kind of close to the door, and here you'd see this sweet little man, and he'd come out, and there his big hand would come out, and he'd just give you a handshake. You just knew, man, that he was so excited to see you there, even if my father-in-law wasn't. He was. He was somebody that, man, he loved on me in such a neat way. He showed me what it looked like to be a husband. He showed me what it looked like to raise children. He showed me what it looked like to do so many of those things in the Christian life. And when I looked at his life, I would see him uh, just across the street, across the road we lived in, just right down below him, and just a little driveway between us, and I would see him up there, and I would see him play. I'd see him do all these kind of things. And I would look at him, and I'd say, you know what, one day... Man, I want to, I want to serve like that. When I got to this church, I remember looking at, at deacons in this body of Christ. I remember Charles Cabe, and I remember him and Miss Josephine, and I remember we used to have a little kids area down below the the traditional worship area, and I can remember them with a big parachute, about eighty years old. Man, and they are loving kids, and they are loving Jesus, and they are. You know, Mr. Cabe would be down in the front doing a children's sermon, and they were. There was this heart, you'd find them in the church making tea and putting out blankets and setting up the fellowship hall and all this kind of stuff that you really never knew happened. And you looked at people like that and you saw a model. Man, that, nobody's perfect, right? But we saw a model of people that just loved Jesus and had, had answered this call from a, 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 the Lord that said, you know what, I'm going to serve the body of, of believers that God has placed me in and I'm going to walk in a way that to the best of my ability gives them an example in their life. They weren't set apart to 
look at and think, hey, no, you know, none of us could live like that. I didn't see these guys and go, hey, I'll never be able to do that. But these men were models to me of people that were pursuing a holy life. Joel often, Joel's in my D group, and often he quotes a pastor that said something that meant something to him, and he said, it's not about perfection, but it's about direction. And as you men are ordained today to, to come and be part of meeting the needs of this local body, I want to encourage you. I know that none of us are perfect. And as we think about, hey, how can I be fit to serve in the midst of the body of Christ? What can God do with me? All those kind of things. It's not about perfection, but it is about direction that we're saying, you know what, here's where I am right now. And I am committed to, to living my life in the best way that I know, in the, in the best way that I can, pursuing Jesus and following him with all of my life. And as we do that, and as we engage in his word, we are conformed and continually conformed to the image of his son. Water jugs, pocket knives, and holy lives. And as we think about those things, if we apply those things as followers of Jesus, it'll be amazing at what God can do in our midst.